So if you can find the right microRNA, you have a really powerful way of controlling the activity of, of many different genes. And this is what we've felt is, is a really good way to try and treat certain forms of epilepsy. So who knew that epilepsy is really common in dogs as well as humans? Well, today we have the brilliant physiologist from RCSI in Ireland, David Henschel, who explains to us in an understandable fashion his research into microRNA expressions and implementing his findings into a study using them as a treatment for epilepsy in dogs and even potentially in humans in the future. Hi, Tori. My name is David Henschel. I'm a professor in the physiology department at a university in Dublin called RCSI, University of Health and Medical Sciences. And my job is to uh, study the mechanisms of epilepsy and to try and develop new treatments. That's really the focus of my research. But I also do some teaching at the university. We're a big medical school in, in the centre of Dublin. What got you into the epilepsies? So for my PhD research, I was interested in brain injury and, and mechanisms of brain injury. And then when I went to do research beyond that, I got an opportunity to work in a, in a different laboratory. And they were curious about whether some of the brain injury mechanisms might be relevant to epilepsy. So they suggested, look, why don't you look at some of these genes, some of these um, signaling pathways in the brain in epilepsy to see if we can uh, treat epilepsy by, by, by blocking some of these injury pathways. So that got me really interested in, in epilepsy. I began to learn a lot about it, how to, how to study it, how to model it. And um, that led on then to the research uh, that we're doing now. So the research that you're doing now, I believe we're involving a species other than Homo sapiens. Um, tell us about it and what happens, you know. So what we're about to start doing, or we are now underway doing, is working with pet dogs that have naturally occurring epilepsy. Um, these dogs are actually um, pets that have very severe forms of epilepsy. A lot of this is very new to me as well, but what I've learned in the last couple of years is that uh, the rates, the, the, the frequency of epilepsy in, in dogs is actually very similar to humans. Uh, and in fact, in some breeds, it's much higher than the frequency in humans. So there, there are some breeds of dogs that have very high rates of epilepsy. And we treat the, those animals or vets treat treat those animals with much the same anti-seizure medicines that we use ourselves to treat epilepsy in humans. Unfortunately, they also have the same problem that many of those anti-seizure medicines do not work in some of these dogs. And if the seizures are frequent enough or severe enough, then the dogs often have to be put down. And this is, of course, absolutely devastating for the, for the pet owners and, 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 of course, very sad for the animals. Tell me about this trial that you are doing um, with a colleague now um, who is a vet, Rodrigo. How are things going to work? What's the process? So we provide them with the experimental medicine and then they um, consent the owners of the, the pet dogs with severe epilepsy to enter into what is a placebo-controlled clinical trial for large animals. So it's run very much like a clinical trial with people, uh, except that it's pet dogs. Um, there are information leaflets that are given to the owners of the dogs, which explain uh, the medicine that we're going to test 
and why they've been invited to participate in the trial. And, and that is always because the, the epilepsy is so severe that the, really the, the only other option in the, in the short term is probably euthanasia for the, for the dog. The dog would be, would be normally put down. So we're only talking about animals that are in a, in a very poor state of health already in terms of, of the, the severity of the epilepsy. And the uh, involvement in the trial is an option for them if they uh, choose to, to do so. And of course, nobody's ever um, pushed into uh, getting involved in the trial. If they agree to the trial, then what happens is the, the dog will receive the, the medicine. And then after being monitored very closely by the veterinary team, we'll go home with the parents of the dog. And um, and then it's the responsibility of the, the pet owners to then monitor the, the seizures. So they actually keep a seizure diary in the same way that if you, were, if you were a patient on a clinical trial for an epilepsy medicine, you'd be asked to keep track of your seizures. So the objective is initially just to see, is it safe uh, in in pet dogs because this is a this is a very different type of medicine to to what they will have been on in the past, and uh, secondarily, is it effective? So ho- hopefully, we find out initially is it safe and well tolerated, uh, and if so, does it work? Um, and there may be reasons that uh, it doesn't work. For example, it could be that we didn't quite get the dose right for for the, for the dogs, and, and maybe we have to make adjustments there. But first of all, yeah, is it safe? Can you tell us a little bit about this drug that's going to be used, please? Yes, so this is quite different to the current anti-seizure medicines that are used to treat epilepsy. Most of those all work in quite a similar way. They basically dampen down brain excitability. And we know that about one in three people uh, fail to get seizures under control with the current medicines. So many of us are trying to think of different ways to, to treat epilepsy. And what we've learned over the years is if, if you look inside a, uh, the brain uh, of somebody with epilepsy, and we are actually able to do that because, of course, some people with severe epilepsy can go on to have brain surgery where a piece of their brain may be removed, the, the, the part of the brain that's triggering the seizures. And that brain tissue sample can then be studied. And over the years, uh, many teams, mine, uh, but many others around the world have been able to uncover some of the molecular changes, the, the chemical changes in brain tissue. And what we've found is that many genes which are normally switched off become switched on and some which are sw- switched on become switched off. And we're, we're talking about hundreds of gene changes here. So if we're going to try and change the, the excitable, the hyper-excitable networks in this brain tissue, we may need to alter the activity of many, many different genes. And the, the medicines that we have at the moment just don't work that way. So how can we change gene activity? Um, uh, the way that we've been approaching this is, is for sort of looking for a master controller and a number of years ago, a molecule called microRNA was discovered, which works just this way. The word RNA you may be familiar with already. So if you've ever had one of the COVID vaccines, one of the main COVID vaccines contains something called mRNA, and that mRNA codes for the spike protein. It teaches your immune system to, to develop antibodies against it. But there are all sorts of other kinds of RNA that are made within the cell, and they sort of act as messengers between DNA and the machinery inside the cell that makes proteins. 
So what microRNAs do is they latch onto these signals as they pass from the DNA to the protein-making machinery inside cells, and they stick to them a little bit like Velcro. And when they latch onto these messages, it, it reduces levels of those genes. And the interesting thing with microRNAs is that they don't just stick to one. And most of these microRNAs stick to dozens, even hundreds of the little transcripts that, 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 that control gene activity. So if you can find the right microRNA, you have a really powerful way of controlling the activity of, of many different genes. And this is what we've felt is, is a really good way to try and treat certain forms of epilepsy. So we've designed a drug that's a little bit like an artificial form of DNA that basically locks onto this molecule and stops it from working. And so that is the molecule that we're now going to start testing. How exciting. And just to reassure people who aren't overly familiar with this type of uh, th these, uh, genetics, can you reassure people that this isn't you know, going to cause their entire genome to mutate and stuff like that? You know, This is a kind of, I presume, a sort of relatively quiet, targeted type of uh, therapy. Yeah, so this is not a traditional gene therapy as we think of. So we're not going in and tinkering with your DNA, putting genes in or cutting genes out. What we're doing is working outside of where the DNA is on the messages that pass between DNA uh, to the protein synthesis machinery. And these molecules, this sort of artificial drug that we've, we've developed, they, they stick around for several weeks, but then eventually cells, you know, break them down and they, and they disappear. So it's, it's non-permanent. And actually, uh, a treatment that's a little bit similar to this is also being used already in children with certain types of um, neuromuscular disease. So there's a, there's a medicine that's based very much on the same type of chemistry that is being, being used for neuromuscular diseases in children. So um, it's in terms of its safety, uh, this is not the same type of drug as your, your daily pill, but it's also not um, permanently changing the, the the genes in in the brain. It's sort of a, a short-term tinkerer. <laughs> that sounds rather reassuring. So I suppose if it's a short-term tinkerer, that would also mean that it's not sort of a type of treatment that, you know, uh, one would take once or just for a month or a year, but it's an ongoing uh, sort of treatment, a bit like our current anti-seizure medications. So this will last a lot longer than our current anti-seizure medicines. So from a, a, a studies that have been done and, and some clinical trials, it seems that when, when these, this type of treatment, this inhibitor is given, it can last between two to six months from a single treatment. Wow. So it's not permanent, but it, it would be a very radical departure from having to take pills two to three times a day. Goodness, that, that does sound rather exciting. Gosh, this could go on to another conversation. Um, so could you just quickly tell us what are the benefits of working um, with a vet um, and when it comes to dogs rather than, say, mice or another organism? The possibility here is that we've got actual natural occurring epilepsy, which is naturally drug resistant in a, um, in a mammal that has a, a complex, sophisticated brain. Um, lower species such as mice and, and rats are very good models in the early phases of drug development, but then they, they have limitations. They don't 
uh, perhaps naturally have epilepsy, so maybe you have to trigger it, and maybe the epilepsy that you're triggering is is not quite faithfully matching what is occurring in in patients. And their their brains are, while um, reasonable models of the human, they're they're a big step away. Whereas dogs actually have they have the same sort of convoluted surface of the brain, albeit a smaller brain than humans. So we think that the 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 dog brain is a very good intermediate model on the way to to moving towards human trials in in the future. And in theory, one hopes that this will literally benefit the dogs who are receiving this treatment and taking part in the study. Yeah, and interestingly, so the the veterinary neurologist that approaches uh, to do this trial, of course, he's thinking first of all of his patients. And initially, I was first thinking of of human patients. Um, <laughs> but I think we're both sort of uh, crossing over our ideas. It would be phenomenal if we if if from doing this research with the veterinary neurologist, we had a, a medicine that could be used for um, for dogs. That would be that would be fantastic, as well as being a, a step towards human trials, which of course is is the uh, ultimate objective. Thank you so much for your time today, David. This is uh, well. Oh, by the way, everybody, stay tuned because soon. Um, I haven't made him promise, but no doubt David will be joining us to tell us all about this really cool book, which will be coming out uh, relatively soon. And we'll explain a bit more about the history of um, your work in the epilepsies from whenever to today. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what a great explanation. But yes. So if anybody would like to get in touch with you and learn more about your work and this study, uh, what should they do, David? I'm based at something called the Future Neuro Research Centre, which is hosted at RCSI in Dublin. And so we have a, a website, the futureneuroresearchcentre.ie. So you can find out more about the work that we do there and uh, ways to contact me through the research centre. We're also on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn. So uh, check us out that way. Thank you so much to David for sharing with us his exciting and rather, quite frankly, cool research into epilepsy in both dogs and humans. Do ensure, though, that you tune in next week to hear part two, where we meet Rodrigo Gutierrez Quintana, the veterinary neurologist from Glasgow University, with whom David is working with on this amazing project. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.